Amen. I appreciate that from the Hastings men. That's a tremendous blessing. And uh, I, I was laughing because I asked Brother Gary, I said, all right, the, the, the schedule says K Hastings. <laughs> and it doesn't narrow it down very much. I said, which one? And he says, I don't know, whichever they choose. I said, Gary, I got to put this in the bulletin and stuff. And so... Amen. Kay Hastings. That was good. So, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, tremendous blessing. Appreciate the song. That was that was great, guys. So that was a blessing. Uh, I did want to make mention. I didn't want to have uh, uh, Garrett announce his own uh, deal, so I didn't put that up there. But next Sunday night, I've asked him to preach, and so uh, looking forward to that. So you'll want to be here next Sunday night and uh, be ready. We're going to be passing out. Uh, uh, critiquing notes and uh, be rating from one to ten, and uh, that's actually what we're going to be basing this payoff of. And so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So please do not do that. No, I'm I'm excited. Be supportive of him and encouraging, and uh, very thankful for. Uh, him being here, and uh, it's, a, it's a blessing, amen, and uh, so wanted to give them the opportunity to uh, preach to the church and for you all to be able to hear him preach, and um, so a lot of these things, uh, even some of the, the pulpit stuff is kind of uh, trial and error, and so uh, he's never been on staff, I've never had staff, and so we're, we're figuring this out as we go. Yeah, but so far it's been good, and uh, he's got a, a willing spirit and right heart about things, and thankful for that. And uh, he has to put up with me and Brother Gary uh, up here, and uh, you can decide which one is being put up with more. Amen. And so, um, boys, do you have the handouts? Did you all get handouts? Did many of you get them? Okay. Who did not get a handout here this evening? Okay, we got about 50%. Y'all spoiled them by handing them out. Go grab those and, uh, and be passing them out. And uh, we, uh, of course, a little bit more of a, a lengthy handout. Don't let that scare you as we've been doing on Sunday night. I'm pretty much giving you uh, my notes. Uh, I say pretty much because sometimes I have personal anecdotes in here to help me stay on track. Uh, so that I don't get off, but uh, mostly want to give that to you so you have them as a point of reference. I hope you'll keep these notes uh, just to be able to have to look back. Uh, should there ever be a question in your mind or some other of, of why am I a Baptist? Uh, or maybe somebody asks you, why do you go to a Baptist church and not to another? This would be a great thing to fall back on and be able to uh, pay attention to that. Okay. Uh, also, I understand what's going on tonight. We have food back there and everybody's ready to eat. So we're going to make good work of this and, uh, and have a good clip as we get through it. And so 1 Peter chapter number 2 is where we're going to start. As these young men make their way around, if you need a handout, just be sure and catch their attention uh, as we get into this uh, here tonight. 1 Peter and chapter number 2 uh, is going to be our text for this evening. 1 Peter and chapter number uh, 2. Now again, this is kind of just the starting point for us. We're going to be uh, more topical tonight in the sense that we're going to be dealing with a topic and dealing with many verses. And so we're dealing with tonight the priesthood of the believer. Okay, we have been dealing with uh, all of the different aspects that make a Baptist unique, something that is unique to the Baptist. And so this is one of those things that nowadays I'm thankful there are many other groups who now recognize this is a biblical truth 
but it hasn't always been that way. Uh, but this is something the Baptists historically have held true to, and I'm thankful for that heritage. All right, found your place in 1 Peter chapter 2, and you're able to. Let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word here tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5. Again, thank you for being here this evening. It's a blessing to have you in the Lord's house. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5. It says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And we'll see multiple times Peter and other parts of Scripture in the New Testament refers to the believer as being a priest or being part of the priesthood. And so we're going to work on what we mean by this definition or this phrase, the priesthood of the believer. So may God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the Scriptures here tonight. <clears throat> now hopefully as we go through this lesson, this will make a little bit more sense. Uh, so understand what I'm saying when I say this. I'm a priest and so are you. Speaking with true biblical terminology, I'm a priest and actually you are too. We often stray from this biblical word because of its misuse by other denominations. They use it to designate someone atop a spiritual hierarchy that people must go to. But the Bible uses the word much differently. Obviously, we're speaking here primarily of, of Catholics would use the word priest to talk about an individual. Have you visited with the priest? But the Bible uses the term much differently. It refers to the priest in the New Testament that we are all priests. And we have the function of an Old Testament priest uh, in some of those abilities that we have to be able to go directly to God. So in this lesson uh, here tonight, we hope to take a look at the word priest in both the Old and New Testaments. And in this study, we will see how God has made each of us priests with direct access to God. We don't have to go through somebody. We have direct access to God uh, as the priests did in the Old Testament. Now, here we go. Uh, let's give a simple definition. Okay? Any believer has the same access to the throne of grace as any other believer. A pastor is no more spiritual than the layman. Uh, now, maybe spiritually mature should be a spiritual advisor, an under-shepherd. Uh, but I honestly do believe in every church there's probably somebody who is on a higher spiritual plane than even the pastor is as far as their ability to pray or soul win or some of those capabilities. Every church I've ever been in, at least, uh, there's usually some little old lady that knows how to pray and can, has the capability and the time, God's blessed with that, to spend hours in prayers every day and uh, just a prayer warrior of going before them. So as we say this to the priest of the believer, the pastor is no more spiritual than the layperson, has no more capability than everyone else. Okay? We do not have to go through a man <clears throat> to get to God. We all have access because we have one mediator, Christ Jesus. You have as much access as you want, and you pray as much as you want. That's one of the great blessings of this is uh, we were talking this morning, a few of us men were praying and Gary showed up right as soon as we finished and we said, Brother Gary, sorry, you missed the prayer time, you can't talk to God now. And just joking because we understand that 
is never a, there's never a time where you can't communicate with the Father. The line is always open, uh, no matter time of day or position. There's no height or depth or place that we can go that we can escape God's love or the capability of being able to communicate with our God and having access to Him. Now, this is one of the most defining distinctives of the Baptist is the, the ability that we believe the Bible teaches about that every believer has a direct access to God. Uh, it's not in the lesson, but one of the most uh, amazing features of this is when Christ died on the cross and he cried out, It is finished. You remember what happened in the temple? There was a big old veil in there. That veil, there went through all kinds of tests and procedures to make sure no light would shine through it, that it didn't have any tears, that it was embroidered just perfect with the cherubims on it. They would take oxen and pull on that thing to make sure it was of the right quality and material. And there were uh, spiritual hands that reached down from heaven and ripped that veil. And it's funny, it mentions very clearly top to bottom, revealing that this was not a work of man, but a work of God. And now that has opened up direct access where before it was just the priest that could go in there once a year to talk to God about the sins of the people. And now when Christ died on the cross and cried out, it's finished, the work of redemption is complete, the sacrifice has been made, that was symbolic now that all men have direct access to God. Yeah, just an incredible thing there. So let's look at a few scriptures here. 1 Peter 2, 9, again on your notes, you have those there. So if you want to turn your Bible, you can, but we're going to move pretty quick through these verses. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Revelation 1, 6, and says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, Revelation 5.10 says, And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 20 in verse number 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Again, we're going to look at some other verses in the Bible, but the Bible says, hey, we, we have a unique thing, a title that's given to us in the New Testament, that we're a priesthood, that we are, have some functions that the Old Testament priest has. Now as believers, we have those functions. And I'm so thankful that that is the case. So the question comes up, what is a priest? It's a good question to ask. When we're talking about a priest, what are we talking about? Well, letter A there, Melchizedek was the first priest. If you ever want to do an awesome study, do a study on the character in the Bible of Melchizedek, a prophet, priest, and king, an archetype or a picture of who Christ would be. Genesis 14, 18 says this way, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, this is incredible because this is before the law has ever been given. This is at the time of Abraham. This is hundreds of years before Moses and the law is ever going to be given. And yet here we have a description of somebody who is called the priest of the Most High God before the priesthood has ever been created in the Levitical law. So obviously this is pre-law. Melchizedek was a priest and a king. 
According to Hebrews 6, 8, again, just a wonderful study about this, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, meaning he is not bound by law and capable of being a prophet, priest, and king simultaneously. He is, uh, again, an archetype or a picture of Christ. Okay, letter B. There was a family of priests, the Levites. There was one whole tribe of the nation of Israel that was set aside for the unique purpose of actually serving in the temple and in the temple grounds. Now, some of these Levites were actual uh, priests. Others were ones that served uh, in other capacities around the temple ground. Let me point out a few things about them. One, they were holy, excuse me, they were set wholly apart to God. The whole tribe of the Levites were set apart. They were unique for this purpose, meaning this. Nobody could be a priest unless they were a Levite. And if you were a Levite, you did something on the temple ground. So they were unique in that sense. They were set apart for that. The Levites actually owned no property. Instead, they were given cities that were in there, uh, cities of refuge and unique cities that the Levites were given, and they weren't allowed to own property. They instead belonged to the Lord. They were never counted as part of the 12 tribes in census. So when they would run census, the priests were not included in that. Because oftentimes the census was used for military purposes and they weren't required to do that. They didn't serve in the military and they were chosen of the chosen, a unique people that were specifically called out to serve the Lord in a unique occasion. Now let us see there, we mentioned this, a priest is someone chosen of God and sacred to God. An Old Testament priest was somebody who was chosen for a specific purpose and a specific job to offer the sacrifices and atone on behalf of the people of God, a unique job that was given there. So the word in the Old Testament, the prime root or the main meaning of the word here in the Old Testament for priest was mainly this, a mediator. (laughs) Now again, without spending too much time on this, a mediator is somebody that goes between when we take, talk about somebody who's having uh, maybe a dispute, uh, we would maybe come to somebody and say, could you mediate this problem for us? Because me and my spouse or me and my neighbor or, or me and my coworker, we're having this problem and we need somebody, a third party that can be there that can go between us and be a mediator, a go-between between us. Now, a mediator, obviously being an in-between, was a primary word that was used in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, though, The word is primarily used this way for priest, sacred. When you think about the word in the New Testament, oftentimes when it talks about the priest, he talks about in this sense, you're sacred, set apart, holy, unique, special. And so that's oftentimes how the word is used. Now again, I wish we could take the time uh, here this evening and talk about the Old Testament priesthood. Uh, If you were here when we were going through the book of Leviticus, we got to talk uh, quite a bit, some about the priestly robes and the sacrifices and the unique things that are mentioned in the book of Leviticus that the priests did. But obviously the Old Testament priests had a specific job and role and a unique thing that they did there in the Old Testament. But notice this though, all believers today qualify as priests under Old Testament conditions. So again, we're not doing the Old Testament function of a priest. None of us are offering up uh, sacrifices or, you know, going into a temple or wearing robes or doing any of those things. But by the definition of somebody that's set apart for a unique purpose, a mediator, somebody that's sacred and set apart, we are, and the New Testament calls us, priest. So you and I are sacred 
to God. 1 Peter 2.9, which we've already read, but it says this, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And so that first point there, you and I are sacred to God. We have been set apart. He says it this way, you're a royal priesthood. You're a special people. You're peculiar. You're set apart. You're holy. You're called out for a specific purpose. And God has given us that. Okay, number two there, we are no longer part of this world. I'm thankful for that. Second Corinthians 6, 17 says, Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So as the Old Testament priest was called out from being a part of all the rest of the tribe <clears throat> to being a part of a unique group of people, uh, so too we've been called out from the world to be part of God's people. <clears throat> Number three there, we are to reconcile men to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 says this, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And have not given to us the ministry, excuse me, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> and we've been given this job just as the priests were called to do in the Old Testament. They were called to help individuals be right with God. And we too have been given the responsibility, every one of us, if we're saved, we've been given the job of reconciliation. To go out and help people pass from death unto life. To go from sin to being right with God. Being made unholy and unclean and being made right with God and holy. And listen, we've all been given that job of reconciliation. God's called us to be soul winners and to witness to others. And uh, just kind of a side note plug here, even in this message tonight. If you've never been reconciled to God, God wants to reconcile you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you of your sins and make you clean. He died on the cross for you. The Bible says if you'll call out to Him, He can forgive you of your sins and you can be made right with God. So number three there, who are possessors of the priesthood? So we say this, if the New Testament declares, we have a, an Old Testament precedent here of saying we're like priests, kind of in a new way, who are the priesthood of the New Testament? Well, it's those who are saved. Only those who are saved are possessors of the New Testament priesthood. Okay, <clears throat> Who is the proclaimer of the priesthood? So we say this, who is somebody who says that we're priests? Well, great answer here. Jesus Christ proclaimed us as priests. That's pretty good authority right there is that who has told us that we have the function and the ability as an Old Testament priesthood did. We reconcile men to God. We can communicate to God. We have a special relationship there with God. Just like the priest did of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is the one who proclaimed this. In Hebrews chapter number 4, and verse 14, he says it this way, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 
So what do we do with that? Well, then he goes on and he says this. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, there's a lot to unpack in this verse, but basically saying this, we have a high priest in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about this a little bit later here in just a minute, but Christ is the mediator, the go-between. When we pray and we want to talk to the Father, you might wonder, why do we pray in Jesus' name at the end? It's because it's only through Him that we have access to the Father. That we have the ability to pray. And so we have this high priest in heaven that wants us to come and communicate to the Father. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. So because we have a high priest in heaven, what do we do with that information? Well, he then says this, Come boldly into the throne room of grace. Find help and mercy in your time of need. The door is wide open. Communicate with the Father. You have the ability to pray. You have the ability to talk to God through Jesus and what He did on the cross. And because you're a believer and because you're saved, go to Him. Boldly come before Him. Obviously, boldly isn't talking about being arrogant, but it's talking about that we have a position. I oftentimes think about my children. They sometimes boldly come in, you know. They do it because they're my kids. They come into my office and they just expect. And listen, in many ways, I treat them differently because they are my children. And many times when I would maybe not give other people as much allowance to interrupt or talk to me, I would with my children, right? And with my wife. Why? Because they're my family. In the same way, we have that ability to come boldly to the throne room of grace. Matthew 27, 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Again, because the veil is ripped, because it is torn, we now have the ability to enter into the presence of God, represented by that Ark of the Covenant that was in that most holy place. We have direct access to God. So what is the pattern of the priesthood? In Hebrews 4.16, it says it this way, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Again, this is not forcefully, but it is with confidence. So let it be there. It says this, priests were mediators. In the Old Testament, when you see priests, they were people who were intercessors or people that went in between for other people. Oh, you have a sacrifice that you want to offer to God. Let me take that and offer it for you. You have a sacrifice. I, as the priest, need to take that sacrifice and offer it on your behalf. Oh, you have sins that need to be confessed. In the Old Testament, oh, I need to take those and the high priest will ask for forgiveness. They're in the most holy place, right? They were mediators. They were go-betweens. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Just as the priests were mediators and go-betweens, we also have the ability today to pray on behalf of others. It's a blessing. Let us see there. Priests were anointed and set apart for the ministry. First John 2, 27 says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, 
and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. I'm thankful in the Old Testament there was an anointing of the priest. When they had a new priest, they had special anointing oil. Read about Aaron when they anointed him and the oil that ran down his beard when he was anointed as a priest. In the New Testament, we obviously, we have the benefit of being anointed by the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to read the scriptures and understand it for ourselves and go to the Lord. Letter six there, perversions of this doctrine. <clears throat> now, obviously the main perpetrators of this today, and as you look back over history, have been the Catholics. Now, that's a big swath of what we talked about with Baptist distinctives. Normally, they are the group that does it. But by and large, many others have also had perversions of the same doctrine. So, we just kind of point some of these things out. Catholic leaders started to look upon themselves as more sacred than the membership. And again, I won't read the scripture there, but Galatians 3 talks about the fact that we all are part of the family of God. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male, female, bond, or free. Now, that verse has nothing to do with the fact that we need to throw out all distinctions. But it does say this, when we are in Christ, we all have the same access to God. There's not one, there's not like a hierarchy. I've had a lot of people come and they feel like, well, I need the preacher to pray for this because his prayers are more efficient and effective than mine. That's not biblically accurate. The Bible doesn't teach that. We all have the capability to go before God equally and make our requests known to Him. The, pre the priests were supposed to be the guides for spiritual affairs. Now, we know this. Pastors are not infallible dictators of your walk with God. Okay? So, I, I don't know where this came up with, but they decided in a false way that the priests were supposed to guide every little spiritual affair in a person's life. I've heard of people joining churches and they sit down and they're like, well, we need to see your bank account so we can tell you what you're supposed to give to us. And we need to do this and you're gonna, we're going to be forced to do this. And listen, a lot of those things trickle down from a mentality that isn't found in the Bible. It's also the mentality that says, oh, you need the spiritual leader to do this for you because you're not capable of doing that. That's a wrong mentality that's there. Listen, uh, I'm, I'm thankful to be a pastor, to help be a leader and guide people in a spiritual way. I'm not more spiritual on a higher plane or a dictator who gets to determine what you do and don't do, right? I just try to guide you to spiritual truth and help you obey the Lord, okay? Let's see another thing that was off here. Only priests were allowed to possess and study the Bible. <laughs> we already kind of talked about this one. This is a big problem. Well, they knew they weren't preaching the truth of the Bible, so they just started saying this, hey, you don't need it, okay? So they started making quite a mess of that. We also know this, the practice of confessing, confessing to a, sins to a priest uh, obviously was a false perversion. Even to this day, it's amazing to me, uh, people who have never been in a Baptist church and have never experienced a Bible-preaching church, so they come in and there's a confusion about needing to confess Hey, hey, priest, can we talk to you? <laughs> we, don't, we don't call, I'm not a priest, right? Uh, I'm just the pastor of the church and love to talk to you about what the problem is, but you need to confess your sins to God, right? Uh, you don't confess your sins to a man. I can't absolve you of sin. I don't have that ability. I, I, I don't have that capability. This hasn't been gifted to me from the Lord. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Who's that? The man... Christ Jesus, He is the mediator. 
Another one here, because of separation between clergy and laity, the priest's prayer were said to be more effective than the layman's. You will not find in the Bible where it says one believer's prayer are more effective than the other. And of course, we've already mentioned that there. Okay, so number seven here. This is an important thing where we start to hit this. As priests, the Baptists believe the Bible teaches the following. Now, let me give these to you here quickly. The first one is this. All Christians can go to the Bible and to God for spiritual guidance. What we mean by the priesthood of the believer is, listen, you don't have to wait on the pastor to give you something from the scriptures so that you know what you're supposed to do. Mm. You have a Bible, and here's the encouragement that is always preached from the pulpit of a Baptist church, which is this. You need to take the Bible and study it for yourself. Now, I'm thankful that we have the ability to come to a New Testament church where the Bible is preached and taught and we grow thereby. I have been the recipient of it and now have the great privilege of being the one who gives the messages. But I'll say this, the reason we have the preaching, if we can say it this way, helps you supplement or helps you grow in what you're already doing at home. You ought to be reading and studying the scriptures the Bereans would hear a message, somebody would preach it, and then they would go and they would study it over again at home to figure out if what was being said lined up with the book. Well, what happened to them? They were surely condemned for doubting the preacher. I mean, he's the, he's the man of God. You ought to just believe what he says. You're, you're undermining his authority. No, you can open up the scriptures and see what the Bible says about the Bereans. They were praised for that behavior. They were praised for searching whether those things that were being preached from the pulpit were actually accurate and true. Now, again, they did have a condescending attitude of, well, we're going to find some fault with that guy. But they had the attitude of saying the preaching is not sufficient enough. We want to know for ourselves what God's word says. What is that? That's the priesthood of the believer. We, we don't have to go to a temple or a tabernacle and wait for somebody to give us instruction from God. We've got it right here in the book. We've got instruction from the Word of God that tells us exactly what we need to do. So John 5, 39 says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Okay, letter B. The pastor is a leader and guide, but not to be considered infallible. I know some of y'all thought I was infallible. <laughs> My wife feels that way. Infallible means incapable of producing error. Yeah, let it sink in for just a second. It's amazing to think that there have been those in history who have thought that the pastor is that way. Did you know the Catholics still believe that about the Pope? His words have greater authority than the Scriptures, and all that he says is infallible, without error. You know, the Bible does not teach that. Actually, there's only one thing that's infallible, and that's God and God's Word will not lead you astray, and it cannot speak that which is false, only that which is true. So we say this, I'm thankful I can be a spiritual guide, but I'm not going to be infallible in my speaking. Okay? Acts 20 and 28 says, excuse me, Acts 20, 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. This is the responsibility of a pastor to be an under-shepherd or an overseer, not a dictatorial person who has complete authority and is infallible. Okay, never see there, <clears throat> or letter C. All Christians can study the Bible for themselves and seek the Holy Spirit's instruction to understand the Bible. <clears throat> not only can we go to the Bible for spiritual guidance, 
we also can go to the Bible and actually understand it. You, you can understand the Scriptures. God has given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Scriptures, and you can go to it and understand it. John 16, 13 says, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. One of the blessings of being a believer is the fact that God helps us understand the Word. Okay, that's a blessing. Okay, letter D there. All Christians can confess their sins directly to God and expect that God has forgiven them. This is so key. Where all other religions at some point in history have cried out and said this, uh, in order for you to be right with God, you have to do this for me. Pay me money, confess your sins to me, do something for the church, and we will somehow magically absolve you or dissolve and remove your sin. It will be removed from you. We as Baptists have always believed and hold true to this book, which simply says this, your sins are forgiven by God alone. He is the only one who can forgive sins. And so we go to God and we confess our sins directly to Him. I'm so thankful. Listen, it hasn't always been this way, and maybe we take it for granted that we just have direct access to God. We just take that for granted sometimes. It hadn't always been that way. But I'm thankful because of Jesus Christ, who now is our mediator, our go-between, that gives us direct access to God. Listen, that phone line's always open. In the middle of the night when we're restless and we're sleepless, we can go directly to God. You don't have to call up the pastor and be like, hey, pastor, we got to meet. I got to talk to God and I need you to be the person who talks to him because I can't talk to him. Think of how miserable that would be for you and me. Yeah. Just kidding. But no, seriously, though, it wouldn't be. Isn't it sad that there are those who live in an existence where they believe, I can't talk to God. I have to go to somebody who is a spiritual authority, and I need to talk to them so they can talk to God on my behalf. That is not what this book teaches. Amen. This book teaches when you got saved, the Holy Spirit moved into your heart, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of heaven, ever making intercession for you as one of God's children. And what do you do with that information? Well, because He's the high priest that mediates for us, you come boldly to the throne room of grace, that you may find grace and mercy in your time of need. Find help. Listen, I'm so thankful that we can go to God directly in prayer. We can understand the Bible for ourselves. God has given us a New Testament church, not to be dictatorially over us and that we have to go through, but that's here to help us and supplement us as we grow in the Lord and do what God has called us to do. And so <clears throat> the final uh, point here on this is this. All Christians who are living in obedience to what they know to be God's word and will have, an, uh, have as an effective prayer life as any preacher. <clears throat> I've already mentioned this. Uh, you can do more on your knees in prayer before God than probably any amount of work and doing that we would engage in. So often we feel like I've got too much to do, I don't have time to pray when the response should be, I've got so much to do, I better spend more time in prayer. There's so much power that's found in prayer. And man, I'm thankful the series that we did on Teach Us to Pray and talking about all the benefit of that. Aren't you thankful for the ability we have to pray? Amen. And I'm thankful for the heritage we have as Baptists to know this. We have always believed and always taught for all the existence that the church has been around, 
is that you as an individual saved person in good standing with God have the ability to go directly to Him and have as efficient and effective prayer life as you choose to have in communication with Him and to understand this love letter that God has written to you. I'm so thankful for the priesthood of the believer. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation.